I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Aspire Academy lecturer of the podcast, long but filled with lots of details. And I'm joined by the 36 ways to pass of the podcast, Tom Woodhead. He's got all of your bases covered. And finally, the Diego of the podcast. Don't let him anywhere near your PowerPoint. It's Darren Driver. Darren, how are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. I, to be fair, I do think not letting me anywhere near your technology is a good idea because I do have a tendency to write royally fuck it up. Um, I really did feel for Diego on that, man. Honest to God. <laughs> Diego, put the correct clip up. Put the... Cor- <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> I felt, felt, felt him die inside. <laughs> I, I was wondering whether or not it was Diego Flores who is now I think assistant. Yeah. I assume it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you can get through that, you can get through anything. So uh, well, we've, se- we've seen Diego Flores die inside lots of times uh, <laughs> yeah. when trying to translate. Tom Woodhead, how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, uh, yeah. I also felt for Diego in that situation. <laughs> it, like I, I've been Diego in that situation, and it's not nice. <laughs> yeah, all of our thoughts are with Diego at this this tricky time for him, but. The Aspire Academy uh, lecture from t- 2016 is now up on our um, our Patreon page, so you can watch the full hour and 17 minutes, I believe it is, um, where Bielsa just talks through lots of different things, really. Uh, it's a real insight into the way that he thinks about football, so if you haven't already checked it out, head over to our Patreon and have a look at it. You guys have both watched at least some of it, all of it? All of it now, yeah. Yeah, I've watched it all, yeah. What did you make of it? It's incredible, isn't it? I mean, just just as an insight into the way that, that Bielsa thinks about football, I can't think of anybody else who I know that talks about football, and maybe there are other people that do this, but, but who would be as specific as to say, there are five ways to lose your marker, there are 13 ways of playing this pass, there are 12 ways of doing this action. It's just, it's just an incredible insight, really, because... You know the the way that Bielsa's teams play. Obviously, there there are moves that you recognise happening time and time again. But they but they very often look so free spirited and off the cuff that it's incredible to think that all this kind of um, statistical and data driven process is is happening and and he's been taken onto the training ground. It is really fascinating. 
Yeah, the thing that I really took from it as well as much as everything about it was interesting was how um how seriously Bielsa took it and how, you know, for, I can imagine for a lot of people something like that it would just be an easy payday and you know they'd go and do a little talk and and you know collect their money, but for him it was like at that point in his life that was his life's work was that lecture it, like he see, you know that's why he was getting so upset yeah. at Diego for fucking up the slides. Um <laughs> he, yeah, he just like he, he he seemed really upset towards the end when he he realized he wouldn't have enough time to go through everything that he wanted to go through because you know then he's not giving people the full picture so i i thought it was almost as much of an insight into the way his mind works as it is into the way he thinks about football um i, I don't think he's capable of going at any anything half-assed you know hmm. absolutely and, and he clearly doesn't see himself as a creator in, in in any sense and I thought that was really interesting because I think I think most people would consider Bielsa to be a creative force somebody who invents things but but the way he looks at it is very much along the lines of well no I've just watched really good players and I've learned from what they've done so it's clearly that he's as much a student of the game as he is the teacher in in that situation yeah I really like the the aspect of the talk at the beginning where he's talking about the way that being a good player and then being able to tell someone how to be a better player are completely different things Um, which I think probably no more prescient time for us to talk about this at the moment where there are just that glut of managers going in who have been high profile players but um, maybe their manager or credentials aren't quite so good but really nice to hear someone just talking about how and that I mean the quote that I shared on Twitter this week is just Bielsa in a nutshell isn't it saying that you know there's certain problems in football that can be solved by world-class talent um, but there's yeah. so many average players who can be so much better because they haven't really had those tools instilled in them that can be instilled in them um, they've just not learned how to do it so um, if that hasn't whetted your appetite for listening to an hour and 17 minutes of Marcelo Bielsa berating Diego then um, <laughs> I don't know what will but do head over to our Patreon and and check it out uh, it's well worth uh, having watched that video. I also found it really sweet and endearing how um, he was sort of fawning over Ronald De Boer and, um, yeah, I enjoyed and the, ver- the various other great footballers in attendance and Carlos Puyol just occasionally turning to Xavi and going, what, what's going on here? This is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is mad, isn't it? That they're just chilling out on the front row. But <laughs> uh, it's very, very enjoyable. Um, I enjoyed it anyway, but maybe our tastes are quite unconventional. But... Um, in other news, we don't really have any other news, which is probably all for the best. Um, there are injuries. We're not entirely sure of what the injury situation is because I guess the um, press conference isn't going to be till tomorrow, so we will yeah, have yeah. updates there. Um, I suspect, I don't know, Urente I think will probably still be out and Cooper is, I guess, 50-50, so we wait and see that. But we'll talk about that, no doubt, more as the... Um, podcast goes on because uh, we are going to talk about the the Leicester City game and moving on to the Leicester City game I has I had the um, the pleasure of talking to Charlie Carmichael who is a senior features writer and editor at Give Me Sport uh, and this is what he had to say about Leicester City. So Charlie hi how are you doing? Yeah very well thank you John how are you? Yeah not so bad we're here to talk about Leicester City and it's been a funny sort of season for Leicester so far we've seen you win against Manchester United and Arsenal but you've obviously had losses against West Ham and Aston Villa as well do you think that's just the product of strange circumstances or do you think there's something deeper going on? I think it's definitely to do with the pandemic and the strange circumstances that we obviously find ourselves in uh Leicester's Achilles heel as I'm sure a a lot of fans will tell you from multiple teams uh we tend to do well against the big teams and uh poor against the the supposedly weaker teams 
Um, that's not obviously to take any credit away from West Ham and Aston Villa. They both played very well against us and they've both made fantastic starts to the season. But uh, yeah, I think it's um, a combination kind of of how we tactically set up and uh, how we go about things. But yeah, obviously struggle to break them down. Uh, whereas we kind of played on the back foot against City and Arsenal and obviously managed to uh, sort of reverse engineer that. <laughs> So you think it's just a purely a product then of of teams that sit back against you? It's just a little bit more tricky to break down then? Yeah, I think in the most simplistic sense, uh, we're obviously a team that likes to dominate the ball and, and kind of play on the front foot. And uh, when a team kind of operates with a low block and plays deep against us, we find it very challenging to break them down. Um, and when we have to kind of see possession and play against teams that are kind of superior to us in quality, we tend to revert back into that kind of uh, almost kind of remedy for success that we had in 2016, where mm. we kind of play in the low block and we're the ones playing on the counter-attack, which kind of suits a couple of our players, you know, namely Jamie Vardy better. Mm. Um, and we tend to have more success. I was going to ask you about James Madison later on, but I mean, it seems like the obvious question to ask at this point, because it feels to me as though James Madison is the player that you have who is probably best um, able to, to break down um, deep-lying defences. And he's sort of been in and out of the team um, this season. What, what's the deal with James Madison? Do you, do you think that um, there's, the, Rodgers doesn't consider him to be um, a starting member of the team or do you think it's simply to do with these tactical um, uh, vagaries that you're talking about here? Yeah, no. So Madison, uh, post-restart, picked up a hip injury. Um, which has kind of plagued him for a little bit of time. He he was out, I think, for the last three games of last season, um, and it also disrupted his preseason. So he hasn't really had a chance to settle in with the with the squad and kind of train mm. properly and get up to speed. Um, he he was starting to come back. He he obviously came off the bench in that Manchester City game and scored a beautiful goal. Mm. And then he got a muscular injury. So it's kind of a bit been a bit of a stop start season for Madison. Um, but again, he managed to play against Arsenal and he seems to be back up to speed now. So it'll be interesting to see whether Rodgers rests him uh, for the European game. And then obviously we play plays the full 90 against Leeds. But mm. he's definitely a crucial part of the plans moving forwards. And I think once fully fit, he'll definitely be bedded into the first team. And do you see him as that sort of more creative player who, if the system isn't working, will, will be able to sort of turn the chance out of nowhere? Yeah, yeah. For me, I mean, I I hate the comparisons to Jack Grealish because I I just think they're such different players. When you look mm. at obviously Grealish is is brilliant at carrying the ball forwards. He's kind of that talismanic presence for Aston Villa. Uh, he's very good at taking people on one on one. Whereas James Madison's far more of a of a passer of the ball. You know, he likes to operate in in small spaces and he, he's very good at playing quick one twos and kind of getting round people. Um, but he's he's not really someone that kind of drives with the ball and you know does a lot of step overs and goes round people for fun. So. Um, yeah, I think he can definitely be that that player for us. Um, I think in the past couple of seasons, Rogers has almost tried to play with kind of two free-roaming number eights, similar to obviously what you see Guardiola do with uh, previously with David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne. Mm. Um, but I guess what I can talk about this a bit later on, but how we've kind of shifted away from that and kind of started to play Madison more as a number 10 where he's more effective. Let's talk before that about the expectation for Leicester this season. How do, how do you sort of pitching your expectations as the season's going on? Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of a difficult one to place. I mean, it has been a difficult one to place since obviously winning the title. But um, mm. I would imagine that most Leicester fans would be happy with a mid-table finish, providing that we either go deep into the Europa League or um, you know have a real crack at winning the FA Cup. If we were to kind of bomb out in the group stages and the, the opening rounds of that, I think fans would would want us to be challenging for a top six position again. So I, I, I think it kind of varies depending on, on where your kind of prerogatives are. 
but I would imagine that a mid-table finish would be more than acceptable and welcomed if, if it led to sort of a cup run. I always find Leicester a really tricky uh, team to, to sort of assess, given the, the, the outlier season when they won the Premier League, and then it obviously massively accelerated the, the plans that they would have had in order to become a, a sort of solid Premier League side. Um, do you think it's been tough having expectations of higher finishes in recent seasons, do you think? Um, I think it was certainly difficult for Claude Powell, who obviously uh, had to come in kind of off the back of the the Ranieri and the Shakespeare era. Uh, he kind of had the thankless task of obviously trying to stabilise the club after a couple of roller coaster seasons, obviously nearly getting relegated and then winning the league, um, which he obviously managed to do. And he managed to change our style of play from kind of counter-attacking football to sort of more possession-based game. Um, and he managed to bring for a few youth players, I guess the, the main one being Ben Chilwell. Um but his, the football was a bit of stale at times. His personality was also a bit stale at times and no one really ever took to him. Um, and, I, and, and I think people wanted this, this kind of exciting attacking brand of football, which he didn't really deliver. But kind of since Brendan Rodgers has come in, he, he has kind of taken that into his stride. He's obviously used to that kind of pressure, having, having lived that for three seasons or two and a half seasons at Celtic where, you know, winning is kind of demanded every single week. And obviously it's not quite the same at Leicester City, but he seems to be taking that into his stride and uh, really kind of, enjoying the pressure as opposing to let it sort of overwhelm them we're still close enough to the transfer window for this to be an interesting question so how pleased were you for your business uh, over the transfer window well i mean at the start of the window i was very worried um obviously with the pandemic hitting i think every club was a bit cautious about spending money at, at the start of the window at least um and obviously king power the king power group is is operates in duty free so specifically for covid an absolute nightmare really um Selling Ben Chilwell didn't seem to be too big a deal for most fans, I guess myself included. Uh, £50 million seemed to be a, a very reasonable, if, if not generous, fee for him. Um, he was scapegoated quite a lot towards the end of last season, um, sort of subsequently coinciding with our downturn in form. A lot of fingers were pointed at Ben Chilwell. Obviously, it wasn't necessarily his fault, but I don't think many fans sort of shed a tear really to see him go, especially not for that price. Um, but then, yeah, we brought in Timothy Castagna, who is a sort of right-footed right wing back to replace obviously our left back so that kind of raised a few concerns um but Castagna's been brilliant really since he's come in uh he's either played sort of with a back three in a wing back role or he's played as the sort of right full back in a back four um he's got bags of stamina great attacking intent um he likes to put in a tackle as well which is which is always nice to see um and yeah just really gets forward every opportunity so James Justin's kind of been filling in at the left back role and and that's been fine but I would imagine Castagna will kind of move over there as and when Ricardo's fully fit and ready to play again um in terms of the other two signings we've made Chenga's under we haven't really seen enough of him yet he's yet to start a full 90 minutes um I think that's mainly down to just sort of lack of match sharpness and fitness he did come off the bench against Arsenal last time out and produced the assist for Jamie Vardy's goal, so that was nice to see. Uh, and he's another player, obviously talking about James Madison earlier, that we're we're hoping can kind of have that creative key to unlock sort of low block defences. Um, but I think the one that really excites me is is Wesley Fofana. Um, I was a bit sceptical about it. It was we were paying thirty five million pounds for a nineteen year old centre back who's who'd played. I think less than ten professional games of football. So obviously a few eyebrows were being raised there, but. If there's one thing I've come to sort of trust, it's, it's Leicester's scouting and recruitment in recent years. And we're sort of three, I think, three games into Fofana's time at Leicester now. And he just looks like an absolute Rolls Royce of a player. Um, I mean, you can't see any obvious weaknesses in his game. He's playing with composure well beyond his years. Um, 
And I mean, if he keeps on his sort of his current trajectory and continues to perform at this level, you know, obviously we sold Maguire for 80 million pounds. So Yinchu has been linked with big moves away, but Fofana could be better than the pair of them. He, I mean, you know, I may maybe being a bit hyperbolic, obviously early days, but he, he looks a brilliant player. So tactically, where would you say Rogers Leicester are right now? What are the basic ideas behind his team? So Rogers likes to play a possession-based game of football um, and he obviously places a great deal of emphasis on ball retention. I think anyone who's kind of watched his Swansea sides over the years will be able to kind of tell you that that's his, his key pillar in his philosophy. Um, he also likes to press a lot when we don't have the ball, um, specifically when teams play back to their goalkeeper and sort of, you know, if they can't play forwards, then we kind of use that almost as a trigger to kind of to press onto them and to, to really put on the pressure when they're playing out from the back. Um, obviously, the specific triggers tend to sort of uh, change from opposition to opposition. But obviously, the, the idea being that if we can turn the ball high up uh, over the pitch and transition quickly, it's going to be a lot more effective uh, than trying to just break a team down who's just sort of sitting in there when we have the ball. Um, I guess the other kind of tactical nuances to go with this system would be one of the centre-backs with the ball always trying to step out and then someone like Anumphalos Mendy or Wilfred Ndidi dropping into the back line. So so Yunchu is injured at the moment, but he's usually the player who kind of carries that ball out of the back. Um, the full-backs pushing high. So, you know, we saw a lot of that with uh, Ricardo last season and Castagna's kind of brought that this season. Um, and Jamie Vardy, he's kind of tailored Jamie Vardy's game a bit. So rather than him kind of going on mad, a mad goose chase around the pitch and trying to close down uh, every avenue when they're playing out he likes him to play within the width of the 18 yard box now mm. and really conserve his energy for those kind of explosive runs um, and obviously we've got the best out of him last season clearly with the with the golden boot win yeah that's really helpful so just looking through your games so far this season there's obviously a fair level of flexibility around this team you've played 4141 3-4-3 uh, and various combinations of those formations would you say that flexibility is the watchword for the Brendan uh, Rogers era for Leicester City. Yeah, I'd I'd say that's a fair assessment. Um, he's I think he's worked hard since he's come in to develop two distinct styles of play with Leicester. So you've got the the kind of more conservative three four three, which I've spoken about, which we obviously used against Manchester City and Arsenal away, where we kind of play this low block and it's it's more akin to the the counter attacking Leicester of old. Uh, where we still look to play a bit as and when we do have the ball, but we're more happy to cede it uh, to teams of superior quality and kind of try and catch them in transition. Um, and then obviously the the four, well, as you mentioned, we, we, we did play with a 4-1-4-1 formation. That's kind of since changed a bit. Um, Wilfred indeed, he was obviously always the anchor yeah. in, in that kind of one-man midfield. But since his injury, we've kind of looked to play more of a 4-2-3-1, as you mentioned. Yeah. Um with Numpleas Mendy and uh, Yuri Tillemont kind of dropping in and playing as those kind of two holding midfield roles and allowing James Madison then to kind of thrive in that number 10 position and push mm. the fullbacks high uh, in games where we look to dominate the ball. So it's, it's nice to have those two distinct styles of play because I think one thing that we've really struggled with in the past is when we come up against the big teams. I mean, we saw it last year. We got, we got destroyed in back-to-back games by Manchester City and Liverpool. And it's one of the main arguments people point to when they say about our season being completely derailed last year was the kind of you know the the shell shock kind of confidence destroying that 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 entailed losing those two games in such drastic fashion to the two teams above us um whereas obviously this season beat manchester city beat arsenal we seem to have really developed a, a way of playing against superior teams so it's nice to be able to mix it up 
Yeah, I'm interested in which one of those two approaches you think that you'll adopt against Leeds because um, Marcelo Bielsa operates by very specific principles um, whereby he'll have a plus one in defence, so a defender over and then one fewer attackers up front in his high press when he's deciding which formation to go with. And it seems as though there's so much flexibility with Leicester that he could have a bit of a headache work, working out which formation Rodgers will go with. Do you think it's there's any obvious logic to the formation that he picks for these games or do you think it's simply a case of Rodgers assessing what he determines to be a a team that will cause them problems versus a team where you you could maybe cause them more problems yeah I think I think in simplistic senses that's that's basically the gist of it um it did feel in the past that it was a bit random as to when he was using the back three and when he was using the back four but it certainly feels this season that the back three is adopted in games where we expect to be kind of under the cosh more and the, the back four is definitely a formation that we, we look to play when we're kind of on the front foot. Um, I think Leeds are a really tricky team to place because obviously they, they kind of almost play uh, as, kind of as an elite team would, even even though they're kind of obviously just come up from the championship. So um, I think especially given our kind of midweek Europa League commitments with the fatigue that that might bring, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he adopts the back three against Leeds and kind of tries to sit in and absorb Leeds pressure and allow them to kind of run around and press like crazy and try and try and pick holes in that defence as and when it as and when they crop up. I don't know if you read it, but Tom Warville had a piece out in the Athletic this week that shows Leicester are maybe a little bit more t- tentative this season than they're used to being in terms of their pressing. But they're using their wing backs slash full backs in a more direct attacking role off off the ball. Um, given that you've mentioned Ricardo Pereira has already been injured and Ben Chilwell is now gone, how important do you, do you see those full backs for in that, in that position this season? Yeah, I think they're massively important to what Leicester do, especially when we play with the back three and the onus is really on them to create the width as well. Um, James Justin had a bit of a slow start to the season. Obviously, he's a right-footed left-back, so uh, it's taken a bit of... And he, obviously, he jumped up from Luton Town. Uh, we we plucked them him from when they were playing in League One. So it's quite a kind of, you know, standard difference for him to kind of make up. So he was a bit of the, a weak link at the start of the season. I know we beat West Brom and Burnley in the first two games, but he looked a bit shaky defensively. Um, but since then, he's kind of come come into his own a little bit and he looks a bit more solid. Castagna, who I've already spoken about, has been excellent on the right. And I expect him to kind of take Justin's place on the left as and when Ricardo is ready to to come back. So I think a lot of Leicester fans are excited to see Castagna and Ricardo in the same team together and see what they're capable of. Jamie Vardy has dug you out of a few holes this season already. How much does Leicester playing well equate to Jamie Vardy playing well? Uh, I think he's probably our most integral player. Um, obviously, you look at the likes of uh, Wilfred and Didi, um, who's who again a lot of people kind of thought he he was kind of irreplaceable to Leicester, but since he's gone, obviously Nampolas Mendy's really stepped up, and we sort of brought Tillemon back into that four-two-three-one. Uh, into the holding midfield role so that's really helped shore that up but with Jamie Vardy no one really comes close to kind of matching his his attacking output um, none of our players hit double figures for goals last season other than Jamie Vardy I think Perez got eight and Barnes and Madison both hit six so and obviously Jamie Vardy scored 23 league goals and won the golden boot so when he's out no one can really replicate what he can do um, Ian Acho is a very different type of player uh, he played in the Europa League game our, our opening Europa League game and he was almost utilised to kind of drop in and link play and let like let the likes of Harvey Barnes run run in behind and play that kind of Vardy role. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a case of 
when when Vardy's on song, we're definitely a more attacking and more threatening team for sure. Yeah, we've just played uh, Aston Villa, who obviously have Jack Grealish as their talismanic player, as you put it, um, and we did a fairly good job of of keeping him quiet, and I think that. Um, resulted in in Villa being kept quiet. How do you think that Leeds should target Vardy to try and stymie Leicester? I think the simplest way to stop Vardy is to just play a a deep lying back, uh, deep line defence, and deny him space in behind. Um, we've seen a lot of players do, uh, a lot of teams do that. Sorry, West Ham did that, Aston Villa did that. Just sit deep and 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 stop Jamie Vardy being able to make those runs in behind. Um, I think another key point is to cut off his supply line um, so that he's very isolated up front. Both Yuri Tillerman and Madison are the two players who will, as soon as they get the ball, will put their head up and look for Jamie Vardy, look for that run off the shoulder. So if you can aggressively press and get out to Madison and Tillerman quickly and stop them playing those passes and getting their heads up, as well as sort of, you know, stopping Vardy running in behind too often, I think they're the, they're the two pillars and they're key to stopping him. It also feels as though you've been beset by injuries both this season and the end of last season and I guess there's an argument to be made that you had a bad post-lockdown run because of uh, a, a lack of injury, a lack of squad depth as a result of injuries. Um, I'm interested in how much of an issue you think that lack of squad depth could have on the team this season. I think it's a massive problem. Obviously this season we've been without Wilfred Ndidi, we've been without Soyuncu, Ricardo, uh, and both Madison and Vardy. Um, obviously the first three in DDC and Ricardo are all long-term absentees as well, you know, uh, out for months on end. So th- th- that's quite literally five of our six best players. I'd say those five plus Johnny Evans are, you know, Leicester's, Leicester's best players. So, I mean, if you can imagine, obviously I know Van Dijk and Alisson have had their troubles, but if you can imagine Liverpool playing without Alisson, Van Dijk, Jordan Henderson, Salah and Mane all at once, that's kind of what Leicester have been dealing with in this, these opening few game weeks. So it's a real credit to Rodgers that we've, he's managed to steer us to fourth in the league at this point. Um, but I think obviously now with the Europa League games kicking in, um, if we can't get the players fit and sort of everyone in contention on a regular basis, I do think it could lead to some some big issues further down the line and a lot of fatigue and perhaps some, some even more injuries through having to play the same sort of eight or nine players every single game. You've mentioned the European schedule a couple of times already. Um You've got an away fixture against AEK on Thursday. Is that meaning that it's going to be advantage Leeds going into the game on Monday? Do you think that will have a significant effect on that result? I think that's definitely a big plus for Leeds. Um, obviously, Leeds' game is built on, you know, as, as you know, you know, sort of that high octane, high energy, you know, kind of pressing and, and playing aggressively, playing quickly. Um, and I think they'll be rubbing their hands together, looking at Leicester's fixture list. Um, I'd imagine at least seven or eight of the players who who are going to be playing in Athens uh, against AEK Athens will be playing at Ellen Road on Monday night. So, um I think, yeah, there's a chance of fatigue. There's a chance of perhaps minor sort of knocks and muscular injuries. And it's definitely the onus will be on Leeds to really get at Leicester from the off and see if they can, see if they can test those tired legs. And how do you think that you are going to line up on Monday then? I think, like I said, it, it's kind of a toss of a coin between whether he opts for the back three or back four. I, I personally think he'll go with the back three. So I would imagine that would entail... Uh, Johnny Evans kind of playing as the, as the centre central of the three back three with uh, Wesley Fofana on the right and Christian Fuchs in the absence of Soyuncu playing on the left. Uh, Tillemon and uh, Nomplas Mendy will then make up the midfield with the wing backs obviously being Castagna and Justin on the left. And then it's either a case of whether I, Harvey Barnes will play from the left and Jamie Vardy if he's fit will play up front. It's the right hand side of things which will be interesting whether he opts for Ayose Perez who's kind of more defensively inclined and who's willing to sort of track back and do the dirty work 
or whether he plays the more kind of creatively potent James Madison. Uh, and I guess playing James Madison from the right is obviously not quite his strongest position. But what that does allow us is to sort of drop Madison into midfield and almost create a 3-5-2 with Barnes going up front with Vardy at times, which might kind of solidify us if we are getting overrun in the middle. Uh, a question that I always ask our guests is, which players do you think will need to perform well in order to beat Leeds? I think Mr. Consistent, Johnny Evans. Um, you know, every, everyone raves at, every, well, every Leicester fan certainly raves about Johnny Evans. I know Manchester United fans laughed at us when we said they'd signed our second best centre-back, but that really was the case. Um, I think he's going to have to be integral. He's going to have to be his usual reliable self at the back. Um, Jamie Vardy, clearly, as we've mentioned a couple of times, is going to carry the biggest goal threat for Leicester and we're going to need him to to bury the few chances that may fall his way. And I think Yuri Tillemon is another big one. Obviously, we've spoken about um, sort of Vardy playing well, equally Leicester playing well, but Yuri Tillemon is another one when he's on song. Um, Leicester can really tick. He's the sort of person that kind of uh, builds play up from the back and sort of links the defensive midfield with the attacking midfield and can really kind of pick passes. So um, I think, yeah, if he can kind of find space to operate, that would be a huge, huge advantage for Leicester. I don't ask any of our guests to give a prediction. Feel free to give one if you want. Um, but I, I'm I'm more interested in how you expect the game to go in terms of the flow. So what do you think the game will look like on Monday night? Um, I expect Leeds to come at us. I expect them to hit us hard, um, especially in the in the sort of opening sort of 20 to 25 minutes, trying to nick, nick an early goal. Uh, I was reading earlier that, you know, Leeds and the Bielsa have a, have a ridiculous win record at, when, after they uh, take the leading games. So... I think, I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but the first goal is going to be really crucial in this one. Uh, I think if Leeds do manage to go in front, especially if Leicester adopt that kind of more counter-attacking approach, it's going to lead to a few problems. And obviously we're going to have to sort of change tact. But uh, if we can sort of keep it uh, tight at the back for the opening sort of 45 minutes uh, and then go into the second half and kind of look to play a bit and kind of look to get at Leeds, I think there's a possibility we can win. I guess, yeah, if I was going to give it a prediction, I'd, I'd, I'd probably go with one all. Well, Charlie, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. How should our listeners uh, follow your stuff on social media? So the easiest way is probably through Twitter. You can find me at CharlieJC93. Yeah, as I've said, it's been a real pleasure to chat to you. I feel much more prepared to what, of what to expect going into this game. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for talking. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So that was Charlie Carmichael, Senior Features Writer and Editor at Give Me Sport. Uh, Guys, what did you make of that? Yeah, uh, pretty fascinating, really. Um, I I find Brendan Rodgers inherently fascinating as a person and as a coach, and he's somebody who who I 
uh, really like and admire. Admittedly, probably not as much as he does. But um, <laughs> but I thought it was it was really uh, interesting to to hear about the kind of tactical development of Leicester because I, I I do think of um, Rogers as being someone who's tactically flexible whilst also having kind of quite clear ideas about how the game should be played in inverted commas. So um, I think, yeah, I, I think I agree with uh, with Charlie in the sense that I think that Rodgers will approach the the game uh, with the 3-4-3 low block rather than kind of trying to bring the game to Leeds and hold the possession. Because I, I, I think that, that if if the last few seasons or the last two two seasons and a bit of taught us anything about um, Bielsa that that one of the, uh, Bielsa's team rather one of the, the the most effective ways to get a result against us is to sit in a low block and to break effectively, and we know that Leicester have got the players to really take advantage on on the on the transition and on the break. So that's very much what I'm expecting to see happen. So we think it's going to be similar to the Wolves game then in that respect. Very much so. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking earlier as I was walking home. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I suspect you're probably right to be honest, and and that it it does make it sound like a very dangerous game for us. I think um, Leicester have got great players, and anyone who, I think anyone who's willing to, uh, I mean, despite what you've, we've just said about Rogers, willing to have the lack of ego to play against Leeds that way, um, yeah, I think has a good chance with the quality of players they've got. Um, it was interesting hearing him talking about um, James Madison as well, uh, the One Direction for sure. Um, with his, his uh, <laughs> perennial hip problems keeping him out that made me feel quite nostalgic um, but in, in general um, I, I, I feel I never quite know what to think about um, about Brennan Rodgers I remember when he first came in at Liverpool I, I thought like that he really stumbled stumbled into uh, you know that period when they had um, Suarez and Sturridge and Sterling like as a sort of either a front three or sometimes as a midfield diamond with Sterling at the tip of the diamond. And and they, they became very direct and attacking, which was, you know, when he first came into Liverpool, you know, he he bought Joe Allen like and, and wanted to play the same way he played at Swansea, like ultra high possession. like And it was re- it felt like, yeah, he, he completely stumbled into that other way of playing for Liverpool. But then when you look at his career since then, he's, he's shown that he is willing to be tactically, tactically flexible. So I almost feel like, He's somehow the genuine article and a fraud at the same time, and I'm never quite sure, um, 100% which it is. And and you know he probably likes it that way. Yeah. How much did the being Liverpool documentary influence you thinking about Rogers there, uh, Tom? I haven't watched the whole thing. You know, I've only seen oh, clips. It's fucking amazing. Maybe I'll give it's the best documentary I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> maybe the second best behind the one about Steps getting back together. That was awesome. <laughs> that, that was incredible. Good, actually, yeah. <laughs> Well, this is a, a depth that I didn't think we were going to plumb in this podcast, um, but but here we are. Yeah, I do think really interesting um, uh, aspects there of, of Brendan Rodgers' character that you're bringing out, Tom. And I think I'm I, I mean I'm at a loss to to really know what Leicester City will do. Like I, everyone everyone seems convinced that that they'll come out in that three four three or three two three, whatever it becomes, in a low block and and sit back, but. I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't do that as well equally um and you know something that I've something that I've been saying is that it's 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 been fascinating that um we think about Bielsa as being a sort of quite proactive coach um but obviously the the formations and the structure of the team that he puts out is always really dependent on the the structure that um the the um the opposition puts out as well so i was going to say i was thinking about this earlier that, that it might have quite big implications for who we put out in the midfield in terms of what 
what shape Leicester play and how, how we, we might see another early substitution if, if Bielsa predicts incorrectly. Mm. I guess I was thinking that, you know, if they were to come out 3-4-3, three, three, I think that we would do, I think we would come out f- like 4-4-2-ish. Four, four, yeah, yeah. Um, and if he did come out in a 4-2-3-1 or whatever, then I think we would just sort of sit Rodrigo a little bit deeper. Yeah, um, I think that's probably going to be the position that's going to be up for grabs. Though, if he decides to do, do maybe something different with with Rodrigo, maybe bring in a more um, classic midfielder. I don't know, um, but for me, that's the at least the shifting between those two formations isn't exactly a huge issue, right? It's the four four two that we play roughly feels like four four one one anyway, um, and and so you know yeah. it's, there's not really much in it. But I feel like Bielsa would generally. He'd rather make an early substitution than change his starting lineup anyway, most of the time. Mm. I think he'd, he'd usually try and do it with the players that he's already got available. And if he's not working, then he'll make a substitution. But I think that's partly why he doesn't rotate, because he's not afraid to make early substitutions, I think. Yeah. Mm. I, the only thing I was thinking about earlier was that if we do line up in something which looks more like a four-four-two, would that involve um, Strike playing as, as one of... The two well, central midfielders, point, or, or, yeah. or would he go Mark Goff or Shackleton? That's kind of what I was referring to earlier, really. Because mm. um, I, I think I, I think I would have slightly more concerns about Stroke in, in the in more of a four, classic four four two than I would with Shackleton. Mm. And a lot of that, a lot of that depends on whether Cooper's fit as well, right? Because of course, yeah, um, yeah. And you know, is Alioski going to be the best player to play against a team that's going to break as fast as Leicester? Are capable of breaking anyway so yeah. you know we might we might see ailing back at right back and dallas at left back if he's worried about that hmm. yeah and obviously wolves play 3-4-3 and we we basically played the 4-4-2 against them with with phillips maybe pushing up in possession a little bit more as well so i guess it just depends on what he wants to get out of his midfield um i, I think like last last week last week I guess it was last week wasn't it Friday we um we did see Jamie Shackleton coming on early ish and and Lee's going a little bit more attacking um from that sort of point um and against Villa I can see why that might be the case because Bielsa wanted us to go more direct and try and hit them before their mid block got into into position um whereas obviously if they're going to sit back and and defend uh, a little deeper then it may be the case that he does want someone like Pascal playing because as we saw at the beginning of the game against Villa he was yeah pretty good in the distribution um sense so I'd, I'd it'll be a, it'll be a fascinating one to see what to see what happens with him the only thing I wonder with strike um and I think it's it, this is probably partly what Darren was getting at is that he, he's not the most mobile player is he and I, yeah. I do wonder if in a two that might be a bit more of a problem mm. than it normally would be yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it depends then how if they, so if they if if Leicester came out in a four two three one, they're going to have Nam Palas, Mendy, and Yuri Tielemans as the double pivot, and then yeah, um, uh, James Madison as the ten. Um, and you wouldn't have a problem, I don't think, of of Strout going up against James Madison in that in that sense. Not at all. Um, if they come up in the, in the three four three, and then we have. Yeah, I guess Strauch then is coming up against one of M- Mendy and, and Tielemans. I don't think there would be an issue there either necessarily, or, or do we think that is the case? I mean, it would for me bringing in someone like Jamie Shackleton and um, and M- Mateusz Klick would would be probably fine in that situation as well. But um, yeah. even when we've even when we've been playing a two man midfield like we did against Wolves, 
um, Phillips was still dropping back and sort of yeah. doing that shuttling. And we've talked before about how leads stretch themselves horizontally, um, vertically, yeah. sorry, rather than horizontally. And so um, <laughs> there will be one of those two who will be more naturally defensive usually. Um, and it, obviously against Villa, it ended up being Mateusz Klick in the end. But uh, I don't know if I don't know if that would inform the conversation about whether or not we started off with, with Jamie Shackleton at all. I just, I just can't see Bielsa wanting... Shackleton to come on because I don't think he'll want Click to play the deeper role, which is yeah. obviously a build-up role, isn't it? Um, but I don't know yeah. if anyone has any thoughts on that. No, I, I think I think you are probably right. It's just something I was con- just thinking about earlier because I, I think in, in you know given that we we do line up the the midfield more or less vertically, then I, and and given that Leicester would largely be playing um, on on the counter, then I think it does it does kind of make sense, doesn't it, to have Stroke kind of having that that deeper role to kind of try and mop up those attacks. I think mm. I think you're absolutely absolutely right in that in that sense. Um, yeah, I think in general I would always be surprised if Bielsa makes. Um, an unenforced change to the yeah. starting lineup, and yeah, almost in almost every circumstance, unless it's a player coming back from injury, I'd usually be surprised if he makes a change. Yeah, and I may be guilty of being biased towards Strauch as well, um, but uh, even just watching back through his game involvements for the first twenty minutes against Villa, like there's just very very little that he did wrong, um, yeah. and he sort of he does everything as as Calvin does things yeah. and you know it's, there's been games before where Calvin's got early yellow cards and then and managed it through the through the half so I just kind of find it hard to think that 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 substitution was purely about the um the threat of of maybe getting a mm. red card later on in the game but um I, I guess as as we stated in the last podcast it's it's all about a combination of factors that go into that decision but um let's move on and talk about so i guess the if there is one thing to feel positive about this game it's that leicester have had worse injury woes than than we have and um in fact the very reason they're playing a double pivot is because wilfred indeedy who's a, obviously a central player for them has has got quite badly injured early on this season um yeah. kagla soyunshu one of their centre-backs is also out, which has, I guess, complexified things too, which means that Christian Fuchs has been playing as the outside left um, centre-back. And also, I mean, Jamie Vardy's only just really started coming back into the game, as we've already mentioned, James Madison. Um, is that something that we have to feel positive about? Is that something that just basically neutralises the teams because we've had our injury woes as well, Darren? Well, they've you know with all those injury problems through the course of the season, they've still managed to win four out of their six games. So I don't I don't think that it's any, you know I I just I feel like they've got at least some strength in depth. Um, but obviously, it's always it's always nice when you're coming up against a team and some of their their better players are out and some of the players that are kind of really central to their system are out. But you know, as you as you rightly say, we we do have our own uh, injury worries and and and. and at least one of our very major players that, that is always on the starting lineup will be out in Calvin Phillips. So, I, yeah, I think I think they probably do kind of balance each other out in the end. So we've covered a lot of the the, the stuff already in terms of the back three, the back four. Darren, you've said you think that it's going to be a back three that comes up against us. Um, yeah. How are you feeling about it, Tom? Are you are you tending towards the back three as well? I think so. Yeah. Like as as I said, um, I. Th- it comes down to whether Brendan Rodgers is willing to treat us as a team to be feared, I suppose. Um, and I guess that it falls directly upon the question of whether Brendan Rodgers is as much of an egotist as people think he is, or whether he's actually a bit smarter than that. And maybe we'll 
you know, we'll find out the definitive answer this coming Monday. Um, I I mean, the the thing I'm sort of slightly terrified and uh, terrified slash interested by is Jamie Vardy because he's he's such a interesting player in that he's he's 33, but he's still playing at a super elite level as um, a quick striker who relies on pace. And it, it feels like almost like a he's like a physical anomaly like a you know a genetic freak or something like he uh, the, the fact that he's able to do that and i think that's the kind of player that can really hurt us like when we commit loads of men upfield so it's going to be very interesting to see how we try and deal with that yeah the the press is going to be ultra important isn't it, in the turnover and making sure that that Leicester don't get the opportunity to kind of comfortably find that out ball to yeah. Vardy and put him in behind us I think that's going to be the the real key uh, to, to whether we manage to get a result or not is whether we're able to effectively do that it's a big test for Robin Cock I think in that libero role uh, because yeah. you know he'll 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 probably be the one that's having to you know, if a ball does get played that's looking dangerous, he'll be the one who's having to try and sweep it up. So, you know, it's possibly his biggest test yet. Absolutely. I think what we know is that if, if Vardy does get in behind us, no one's catching him. So, <laughs> just kind of... Um, maybe Melier will need to be alert and, and, and looking, you know, for opportunities to sweep up and play that maybe a little bit higher. And Vardy is starting in the Europa League tonight, apparently. Uh, in, oh, is he? Okay. Uh, I think it's against AK, AK Athens, um, a Greek team anyway. So hopefully he'll uh, not be at 100% um, when it comes to Monday. But as I said, he seems like if you put enough Red Bull in him, he, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like Jack Clark. Uh, the anti-Clark. <laughs> so either way, whatever formation they do play, they, we'll, we will be playing a back four, I think. So uh, the, yeah. the big question is, I mean, we've, we've talked about maybe... Um, Jamie Shackleton for Pascal Strauch but there is the opportunity or possibility that we could drop Strauch back into the central defence and push Ailing wide again um, what are we thinking about the back four Tom how do you think it will line up do you think it'll just be the same as it was against Villa I think if Cooper's fit he'll play and uh, yeah. Dallas will go to left back and Ailing will go to right back if Cooper's not fit I personally um, and it pains me to say this with Darren on the pod would probably drop Strauch <laughs> back um, oh, I don't know. No, because then you lose him. In, yeah, I, I'm torn on. I'm torn on what I would do. Um, I, I, I ailing at centre back in a two worries me more against Leicester than it would against most teams. Uh, I'm not. I, I normally think it's fine, but against a team that's looking to break that quickly, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think all things being being equal, uh, I nobody say Cooper doesn't come back. I very much anticipate, and I think it's the correct decision to go with the same starting lineup that we started against against Villa on balance. So, um, I think you know, whilst I do sometimes have concerns about Ailing playing in a two, I think it's also fair to say that he was pretty much the best player on the park against Villa, um, and we know that Pascal Stroke can do a great job. In, in in the central defensive midfield role, so I would very much anticipate that that being the case again. Yeah, thinking about it properly, I think I'd be more concerned about Click starting in the defensive midfield role than I would about Ailing starting at centre back. So that probably yeah. makes up my mind. Hmm. Yeah, I think I would agree with that as well. I'm just looking at the um, the lineup because obviously Leicester are playing now. Um, Jamie Vardy has started, as has James Madison and Yuri Tielemans as well. Um, so there's three of their big players uh, playing tonight in Greece so yeah it could be the case that that does um, actually have some kind of impact on Monday. Well has he started Madison in terms of Outside position? left of, of a right. front three they're playing 3-4-3. Three, three. Right, um, right and he played there against Arsenal as well didn't he on, on the left? Yeah. Well there we are 
in terms of what we're going to look about look like outside of that then um let's talk about Lee's wider squad selection everything else staying the same is there's no chance that one of the wingers will will change over we don't think is there Darren I don't think so I, I think I think Costa and, and Harrison are still established I think in all likelihood it, it it's going to take an injury or a, or a significantly a significant sequence of poor performances for either Costa or Harrison to drop out. I think they will start because they're so well inculcated in the roles. Um, I think eventually when one of them gets injured, or you know, Rafinha will come in and, and, and everyone will be very excited and then immediately decide that he's crap. Um, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, very much for Monday, I think it will be Costa and Harrison. We did see Rafinha play 90 minutes-ish. I can't remember actually yeah. uh, as a number ten in the under twenty threes. Um, so I guess that is a, a an op, 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 uh, possibility. I should say. Yeah, I'm not sure if I would want to necessarily see Rafinha play, playing the sort of eight slash ten role that we we have in our uh, full one for one. But there we Bielsa, Bielsa did say in one of his press conferences that. Uh, Rafinha can play on either wing and I, I'm paraphrasing here but in the fullness of time can play in the middle so uh, <laughs> I think he biblical. I think well I think I think he, he he sees that he has the he does have the attributes to play that role but he'll need a lot of teaching was what I took from that yeah and I guess um he also in that same answer in the same interview did describe uh, Gianni Alioski as a number eight so I guess we, t- <laughs> we take all of that with a pinch of salt um I guess yeah, that brings us on to Rodrigo. I suppose that's the that's the one position. I think that there's that there's any question about who might play in in that role. Do we think Rodrigo is just a, a dead cert for for that, Tom, or is there the possibility that I think so? so you, just, yeah. you don't think there's any question. I'd be very very surprised if he dropped Rodrigo after the couple of games he's just had. Well, I think that pretty much uh, sees us um, lining up the whole team really in exactly the same way that we lined up <laughs> against Villa um, at the at least at the beginning. Um, let's talk about the the players that we think we will need good performances from. I think there's already been a suggestion that if we can keep Jamie Vardy quiet, that will be big. I guess if James Madison does play on the outside of a front three on the left, we're yeah. expecting another good performance from Stuart Dallas in that regard. Um, and then uh, I suppose beyond that, it's um, a question of who is going to be good from an attacking side of things. So, uh, yeah, we'll start with you, Darren. Who do you who do you think we need to have a good performance from in order to beat Leicester on Monday? The wingers, basically, because I think I think if they're playing with wing backs and and who uh, at least one of whom pushes high quite often in their transitions, um, which which is something that I noticed in the Arsenal game, then I, I think we're going to need to make sure that we get get the wingers in behind them and we get get them you know in in good positions so we'll we'll need Harrison's crossing to be good and we'll need Costa to do the the ball carrying uh, to a high standard I I think if 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 they struggle I think we'll struggle how about you Tom yeah I definitely I'd agree with the wingers especially Harrison I think because he I think Harrison was quite poor against Wolves Um, he's mostly been decent this season but I think uh, when a when a team of talented players puts a low block on Harrison uh, it doesn't play to his strengths at all mm. because he's he's encouraged to dither and uh, obviously dithering is one of his biggest weaknesses so um, yeah I think I you're going to say it's one of his hobbies <laughs> and, uh, 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 as a slight outside uh, bet I, I wonder if this is a game when we might see Pablo have a more um, more mm. of an impact from the bench than he has in previous games or might be needed to have more of an impact from the bench if, if they are sitting in a low block and we need someone to come on and uh, and create that bit of magic. I wonder if this might be the time when Pablo Hernandez properly reannounces his arrival on the Premier League stage. 
Interesting what you're saying about the um, the wingers, actually, because it's something that actually I've thought about recently. That you know, we just just anecdotally from doing all stats aren't we stuff. Whenever we ask for questions after games, you'll you'll either get sort of like, oh, is this this Jack Harrison was great in this game, uh, or Costa was great in this game, and then alternatively, the the game after will be like, this is terrible from Costa, this is terrible from Harrison. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder how much of that just has to do with like Leeds. Or Bielsa, I suppose, um, targeting certain weaknesses in in teams. So it's, it feels like in some games, uh, like against, uh, just trying to think, um, who who would was it was it Sheffield United where where Harrison had a huge amount of the ball? Um, yeah, and maybe Man City as well. But then there's been other games where Costa has been really really influential as well, and it's it, it hasn't felt as though they've both been quite so influential in on the same level in, in their games it feels as though we either go down one side or the other and we sort of make yeah. a, a point of that um so i wonder whether or not we we think that there's going to be one side or the other perhaps against leicester that will be um that will sort of um mag- magnetize the leeds attack in a, in a specific sense well, I think James Justin tends to push higher of the two Leicester fullbacks, or has done so far this season. So I'm anticipating that we're we'll trying to get Costa away as often as we possibly can, um, and and try get him right in behind. So per- perhaps this will be a game where Costa will be the one where we're getting the comments where he looks great, and it'll be Harrison that's, that's getting pulled to bits. But I think any team that plays a back three with wing backs as well, you're more likely to have those kinds of. Um, hmm. Uh, asymmetric weaknesses I think uh, than you are with the back four where mm. there tends to be more cover on each flank to kind of to ameliorate those problems yeah I mean watching the the, the Leicester 5-2-3 that it basically becomes um, I have been really interested in how much of a, a, a role the wing backs play there's a lot of blindside runs that are done by yeah. by the wing backs and so you'll see uh, the wing backs popping up in the box um, when the ball's crossed in at the back post. Um, that, yeah. that seems to happen a lot. And it's it's almost the case that, you know, the, the, the front three stays really, really narrow. So you have Harvey Barnes on the outside left, usually. Um, and I think we'll probably see, I don't know, it's, it's interesting to see where we'll see Madison, but Barnes and, and Vardy together can basically play as a front two with maybe a yeah. slightly more defensively minded third player out on the right. Um, the two central midfielders stay where they are and then the, the rest of the attacking um, fulcrum just comes through the wing-back areas. And so I do think we're going to have to see... We'll, we'll see the wingers... Uh, sorry, the Leeds wingers doing a huge amount of um, coverage defensively as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and like you say, I think it's going to be interesting to see if they can turn that to their advantage when um, when Leicester are attacking, whether or not they can find space in behind those fullbacks, uh, if we can turn the ball over quickly as well. But as you've suggested, you know that the the watchword for for Villa um, for, for Leicester is probably going to be sitting back in a low block as well. I think the other thing regarding the wingers and and people saying you know they had a great game, they didn't have a good game after. Mm. Uh, I th- it feels like dribbling and crossing a two yeah. enormously high variance actions yeah. on a football pitch whereas a lot of our players built around short passes or even or even the kind of long raking balls that Calvin Phillips does there mm. they're just much less likely to fail than any given dribble or cross so mm. the two players who are tasked with doing all that dribbling and crossing they're always going to have a lot more you know 
ups and downs than the rest of the team, I think. Yeah, and also I think in terms of Costa against Villa, a lot of people were saying, oh, I didn't feel like he had that good a game, but he still was one of the players who was progressing the ball down the pitch more than anyone else. Um, Absolutely. Just comparative to, to Harrison, he was just not getting the ball as much. And, uh, you know, he, he was also tasked with covering Jack Grealish and um, Matty Target as well. So yeah. it's one of those ones where you've got to, and I always try and say this on here, but you've always got to take everything into context. You've got to try and think why the the arguments that you might want to make might not be as convincing as you um, think that they will be on the face of it as, as well. So um, there'll be lots, uh, no doubt, lots of interesting tactical aspects of the game that we do need to take into account um, while we're watching it. But one last question then, how do we expect the game to unfold on Monday, Tom? Um, I think it'll be similar to the Wolves game. That's not to say that it will have the same outcome but um i wouldn't this you know the first half will probably look quite similar um and if we get a goal then i think we you know we're in great shape and we could go on to get a few more but if if leicester get the first goal it'll be difficult for us i'm concerned about this one um i i think leicester have got the tools to really hurt us um on on the transition so i'm yeah i'm obviously you know hopeful but but i I do worry about about vardy getting in behind and I, i do worry about um about Madison's passing and his ability to find those those Vardy runs. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> we will indeed see. There you have it. There's the All-Stats on we take on the, the game against Leicester City on Monday evening. Um, just a few points of housekeeping. Keep an eye out on our Twitter feed. The tactics thread will be up at some point tomorrow, I think. Um, it's not currently been written so um we'll we'll play that one by ear but we'll be covering a lot of the 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 topics that we've talked about tonight so keep an eye out for that uh if you like what we put out and want to get more of it we do have a patreon channel with bonus material on that you can go and find we have bonus podcasts on there uh video material and some written stuff as well um if you want to check out what we do go over to patreon.com forward slash all starts aren't we and have a look around um three people who have done that this week are mike Turetsky. Chris Shaw and Chris Kirk. So thank you guys for uh, joining joining the revolution. <laughs> Don't know where that one came from. Um, but anyway, we'll be back on Tuesday with a review episode from the, the Leicester City game. Uh, but other than that, all that there is for me to do is to say thank you, Darren. Cheers. I'm going to go watch the uh, Being Liverpool documentary again now. <laughs> and thank you, Tom. Thanks. I'm going to go watch the Steps one. <laughs> And we'll see you back on Tuesday. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 